You're listening to the Strategies at Work podcast for November 2008. Today's episode is titled, Succession Planning. Since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, every person has been born in a state of rebellion against God. This rebellion is expressed by a bias to sin, particularly the sin of pride. Jesus provided the antidote for the sin problem through his death on the cross. Those who profess to be his disciples are therefore called to put aside their self-centeredness and live for Christ. There are only two ways to build an organization. Either you build monuments to yourself or you build sons, generically speaking. Building monuments to yourself is self-centered, single-generational thinking. Building sons is selfless, multi-generational thinking. You glorify God by building sons who will continue the legacy of the organization after you are gone. Therefore, succession planning is a vital strategy for the long-term success of your organization. And now Dr. Chester brings us the message titled, Succession Planning, Generational Transfer. Good to see all of you. This is the third session. Our theme has been um, and is business as mission. And the focus today is generational transfer. So uh, to set the stage, let me tell you a little story here. An older gentleman was on the operating table awaiting surgery, and he insisted that his son, a renowned surgeon, perform the operation. As he was about to get the anesthesia, he asked to speak to his son. Yes, Dad, what is it? Don't be nervous, son. Do your best and just remember, if it doesn't go well, if something happens to me, your mother's going to come and live with you and your wife. (laughs) That will encourage your son right there. Well, again, I'm glad to be with you and, and just want just to spend this time this morning interacting with you and talking to you a little bit about generational transfer. And uh, to kind of set the stage, uh, here's a little interesting exercise. I want you to think back uh, to the year uh, 1906, and I want to just ask you a few questions. What was the average life expectancy in the U.S.? 47. Uh, what percentage of the homes in the U.S. had a bathtub? 14%. Okay. What percent of the homes had a, had a telephone? 8%. A three-minute call from Denver to New York City cost what? Cost $11. $11, yes. How many cars were there in, back then? 8,000 cars. How many miles of paved roads? Paved roads now. 144. 144 miles of paved roads in 1906. The maximum speed limit in most cities was 10 miles an hour. You got to realize they're still dealing with the horse and buggies, you know? Okay, here's a good one. A competent accountant could expect to earn how much a year? $2,000 a year. A dentist would earn what? $2,500 a year. A veterinarian between $1,500 and what? $4,000. A good mechanical engineer would earn what? He earned 5000 A little different. Sugar cost, how much a pound? Four cents a pound. Eggs cost 14 cents a dozen. Coffee was 15 cents a pound. Most women only wash their hair once a month. The five leading causes of death in the U.S. in 1906 were... Influenza or, the, or pneumonia. TB's number two. What's three? Diarrhea. Can you believe that? Number four was heart disease, and number five was stroke. 
Very different world from what we live in, isn't it? Or wasn't it? Now, where were you in 1906? You were conceived. Where are you going to be in 2106? Not here. You know, barring some incredible breakthrough in, in medical technology, none of us will be here. But barring the return of Christ, 2106 will come. And so the question is, what has your life got to do with the 200 years between 1906 and 2106? You ever thought about that? You know, when you stop and think about it, we don't know exactly how long the, the, the earth has been around. You know, obviously there's a lot of debate about that. But it's at least thousands of years. And so the question is, what you know, each person lives 50, 60, 80, 100 years. How does this all fit together? How does this weave together? You know, we typically live our lives like we really are not connected with the past or not connected with the future. That's what most people live. And may I suggest to you that is very worldly thinking. In fact, I want to suggest to you that that is, that is precisely the thinking that you had in Genesis 11 and the story of, of the Tower of Babel. And my thesis about the Tower of Babel is that that is a picture of the best that the world can do. I'm going to read that to you in a moment, but I just want to set this up for you. Do you all agree that God created the universe? Does everybody agree with that? Okay. If he created the universe, did he create the rules? Any question that he created the rules? All the rules. He created the rules for, for your life, for your family, for your business, for your church, for how we govern ourselves as a people. Did he create all of those rules? So if we're, if we're doing business and living in God's universe, then the only thing that's going to work in his universe are his rules. Correct? We all, all clear on that. We all agree on that. So that means when I get up in the morning and I go to work, I'm going to work in God's universe. And the only thing that's going to work for me in the workplace are God's rules. So what's happening is all across the world every day when people's alarm clock goes off... They're getting up, and all of us have some are living in some spiritual condition. Either we are we know Christ or we don't know Christ. To not know Christ is to be in rebellion. So if I get up and I don't know Christ, and I'm in this state of rebellion, now for me to live in God's universe, I have to comply to some degree with his rules. So on some level, there's a level of obedience going on in me just to live in God's universe. Now, I could still be in rebellion in my heart, but I have to comply on some level. For example, how well does it work in a, in a company if you, if, you just have, uh, if you have people showing up and not doing their work? How well does that go? That doesn't that work very well, does it? Okay, you have to have a, a work ethic of going to work and being responsible and doing your work. How well does it work to, to mistreat customers? That doesn't work very well either. You've got to go and treat them to some level like the golden rule. We've got to treat them kindly. How well does it go when you lie to them? That doesn't go well either. You've got to, to some degree, you've got to tell the truth, although there's a lot of lying that goes on. So there's a level of compliance that's going on to have success, any success, in God's universe. So that's what you have in Genesis chapter 11. You have a level of compliance going on. And this, this is what I, my, my thesis is. This is a picture of the best that rebellious people can do in God's universe. 
Now, I'm just going to read it to you real quickly. Genesis chapter 11. Now, the whole earth had one language and one speech, which is important to note because the key to any business, any organization, is communication. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. You see, this people came together. They had a mission. They had a vision. We're going to make a name for ourselves, and we're going to do it by building a city and a tower. And we have unity of purpose. We have good leadership. We have good communication, and we're using the right technology. You see, the bricks instead of stone was the right technology. Asphalt instead of mortar was the right technology. Now, why is that? Well, the reason for it is brick is man-made. And brick can be made very regular. Stone is, is natural. Have you ever tried to get stone to be regular? It's very difficult. So it's better to make a man-made product to build this thing so it can be very regular because you're trying to build this tower up vertically. You want it to be vertical. You don't want it to be leaning. If it's leaning, you got a problem. Then you need to be sure it's weatherproof. Well, mortar, the mortar they had back then was not weatherproof. But asphalt is, so they used asphalt to be sure it would be all weather. So you see, these are things that God put in the universe. And tools and technology and systems for us to use to have some level of success. And so that's what they did, and that's, that's the reason they had a level of success. But in the end, they get judged. Now, why did they get judged? They were trying to make a name for themselves. It was all about them. God is not into us making a name for ourselves. He's into him making a name for himself. And us, we are his tools and vessels to do that. So they got judged because of the wrong motive. Which is very important that you ask yourself, in whatever organization you're in, including your church, what is the motive here? What's the driving agenda? Is the agenda to make a name for ourselves, or is the agenda to glorify him? That's true in business. That's true in business. Now, I've read to you a text out of James 4 before, James 4, 13 through 17. You remember what that text says about what business should be about? Y'all remember that text? Do I need to read it to you? Remind you? It's a very interesting text because it's specifically, there's no doubt he's talking about business. He says this. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, make a profit. Now, Jay, what is that? Isn't that a business plan? That's a business plan. And Jay, Jay looks, has looked at lots of business plans. I've looked at lots of business plans. I don't think I've ever seen a business plan that doesn't say I was going to make a profit. And anybody that's been around investments and private equity at all knows that there's a lot of la-la land thinking in most of those business plans. Is that right, Jay? So what you have to do as an equity investor is you've got to try to ferret out the la-la land thinking and get down to what really can happen. Well, so here we have the law line thinking here. Today or tomorrow we're going to go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, make a profit. Now notice what James says in the next verse. Whereas you don't know what will happen tomorrow. Whoops. 
What is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Well, that's a reality check. That's very true. So he says, okay, let me tell you how you ought to approach business plans. Here's the way you ought to approach it. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. You say, he didn't say don't plan. He said, submit the plan to the will of God. That's the difference. Now, see, we don't do that well because we have this separation of church and work going on in our culture. We think that we can live at work independent of God. We forget that we live within God's universe. And he made some rules for work. And we keep trying to live as if he doesn't. And we concede to the atheists who are telling us, hey, you know, work is work and church is church. Y'all can do whatever you want to in church, but work is, work is secular. Work has nothing to do with God. That is an overriding thesis that the atheists would put out there, and we bought it as Christians. Because we haven't been wise enough to recognize the reality that the root of all action, the root of all words, is ultimately your spiritual condition. Spiritual reality drives physical reality. Physical reality is a manifestation of spiritual reality. Now, that's, that's a reality we've got to come to grips with and know that that's the way God made the universe. And you know this because of Genesis chapter 1, you have this spirit being called God creating a physical universe. Spiritual reality preceded physical reality. Physical reality came out of spiritual reality. And so we've got to begin to really grab hold of the fact that God has defined all of the rules of, what, of his universe and how he wants us to operate. Now you say, what's this got to do with generational transfer? Well, it's got everything to do with generational transfer. Because now as you begin to see, everything is about the will of God. Does everybody agree? Everything is about the will of God. We keep thinking business is about making money. Business is not about making money. Money is a byproduct. If God is the, is the, the prime mover of the universe... And he created everything. Does God lack for any resources? Is there anything he doesn't have? If he needs something, he can make it. We keep thinking God has limited resources. No, he didn't have limited resources. Why do you, do you, anybody here feel like you have limited resources? You're, you don't want to admit that. You know it's a setup, don't you? Okay. What I find is very common. Most people feel like they have limited resources. And then my question to them is this. You know the Lord? Yeah, I know the Lord. I said, is the Lord good to you? Oh, yeah, the Lord's really good to me. I said, does the Lord have any lack of resources? No, I, no, he didn't have any lack of resources. Then why do you have a lack of resources? You ever thought about that? That's a sobering thought. Well, and then, of course, they're usually scratching their head then because they don't know what to do with that. And I said, well, let me ask you another question. Would you give your two-year-old son or daughter $100,000? Well, no. Well, why not? Why wouldn't you give them $100,000? Well, they, they wouldn't know what to do with it. I said, well, now think about that for you. If God gave you $100 million, would you know what to do with it? I actually was speaking in a church, the church that you guys would know about not too long ago. I was talking about this, and I... I said, okay, what would you do if God gave you $100 million? And a lady spoke up immediately and said, go to Neiman's. 
illustrated my point. You don't have, you don't have a clue what to do with those resources. You see, God, God is into providing and funding His will. That's what He's about. He's not into funding our pleasures and our flesh. He's into funding His will. And so, if you want to find His provision, then you line up and discover His will. And that's where there's provision to do whatever it is that He's called you to do. So generational transfer is first and foremost about discovering the will of God. You have to discover the will of God for yourself and your business. And it's really hard for us to get it with business. How many of you are small business owners? A number of you are small business owners. It's very difficult for small business owners to, to grab this point because we identify with the business. I have a company called Strategies at Work, comma, LLC. It is an entity. If I die today, Strategies at Work, LLC, does not die with me. It still exists. It's an entity that God has ordained, that God has a will about. You see, everything that God does, he has a will about it. So he's, or, he's, he's called me to form this entity, and he has a will that he wants to execute. My job as a chief steward, and that's all I am as a chief steward, and that's all you are as a chief steward of God's entity, is to discern what it is he wants done. And most likely what he wants done is going to take more than your generation. God's into multi-generational thinking. Uh, my good friend Dennis Peacock talks about how they used to build churches, cathedrals back, you know, 1,000, 1,500 years ago. It's fascinating to, you know, to think about this because they didn't have the technology we had. But yet they built these magnificent buildings. You've probably seen them, been to Europe and seen these magnificent buildings. Well, some of them would take 100, 150, 200 years to build. Which meant that the, the grandfathers planted the trees that the grandsons harvested 75 and 100 years later to finish building the temple or building the, the, the cathedral. You see, that's generationally how you work, where the grandfathers are planning for the sons and the grandsons so they can do their work. And see, that's the way God works. He, has, he gives people vision, and that vision may not be fulfilled in their generation. Now, you might be saying, well, where in the world do you get that in Scripture? Well, can I uh, suggest that you look at David and Solomon? Remember that story? David had in his heart to build the temple. Remember that? And he calls in Nathan the prophet. He says, Nathan, I got this great idea. We need a temple for God. You know, we've got this tabernacle and it's all fine and dandy, but you know, we're in the land. We've kind of settled here. We're not moving around anymore. Let's build a permanent place and bring the ark in and let's have a great place where we can worship God. And Nathan being a, an impulsive prophet and not asking the Lord, said, hey, great, do what's in your heart. You remember what happened that night? He had a dream. He had a visitation. Lord said, Nathan, you spoke before asking. It's not for David to build a temple. His son will build the temple. So Nathan had to go in the next morning and say, whoops, David, time out, made a mistake, sorry, gave you the wrong word. Here's the word of the Lord. And so he laid it out to David. And David, David responded appropriately. David went into worship. And then David understood his job. 
His job was to get everything ready for his son. He hired the architect. He hired the engineer. They did the plans. He put all the resources together, all the money. He got all the financing needed. He got all the people needed. He had everything ready to go. And then he gave it to his son and said, this is what you're supposed to do. God has called you to do this, and I have prepared it for you. Now, that's generational transfer. That's getting at seeing what God wants done and lining up with God and recognizing your role may be to get things ready for your son to do it. Now, there's a question about uh, about what happens if your natural son's not doing what you want him to do. Did I hear that question correctly? <laughs> kind of ad lib that question a little bit. Okay. Well, as you discern the will of God. Would we agree that God has assignments? Ephesians 2.8 says this, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, would you agree that that's a great statement of the salvation we have in Christ? It is by grace, through faith in Christ, and it's not because of anything you've done. Why are we saved? Why are we saved? Is it to populate heaven? Is that why we're saved? Populate heaven? That's what most people think. But he tells you in the very next verse why you are saved. For we are his workmanship. Aha. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, when we read that, we have this dualistic hermeneutic. You know what that is? It's kind of like a disease. It's not, not really a disease. It's kind of like a disease. This dualistic hermeneutic says, when I read that term, good works, I immediately think in terms of missionary work or being a pastor or leading a Bible study or leading somebody to Christ, which those are good works. But that word, ergon, which is translated works, is not limited to that definition. In fact, that word, ergon, is a very broad term. It refers to all kinds of work. It refers to what you do every day. All of your work activity is included here, which means that God has ordained your work. And so you have been saved to do the work that God has ordained for you to do. You've been saved to discern the will of God so you can go about your life and you've been saved so you can sow into the next generation so they can do what they've been called to do. That's what generational transfer is all about. It's about discerning the will of God and training your sons to do the same thing. So if your son is not following in your footsteps precisely, hopefully he's following in your spiritual footsteps of discerning the will of God and doing the will of God. But your son may not be assigned to do exactly what you're doing. They may be assigned to do something different, which means God may have for you spiritual sons. Titus was a spiritual son of Paul. Timothy was a spiritual son of Paul. Epaphras was a spiritual son of Paul. So there's a whole concept called spiritual sons in Scripture, and that concept is is there because God has assigned to you not only physical children, but spiritual children. And these are people that you now are put your DNA into. You put into them what, what God's put into you. You know, one of, wonderful, one of the wonderful things about the scripture 
is the principles of the kingdom. And one of the, the key principles of the kingdom is that money is not true riches. You see this in Luke 16. What happens when you give away money? Okay, when I give, if I give Tom $5, now he has $5 and I don't have it. You see that? He's got it, but I don't. What happens if I give Tom wisdom? He's got it, and I've got it. You see, that's the way the kingdom works. It's when we get lined up with the way God works, true riches are about growing. It's not about supply and demand. It's not about scarcity of resource. It's about expanding and growing to where we all enjoy the blessings of God. Which is why in Luke 16 it says this. It says money is a test. Money is a training ground. If you can't steward worldly wealth, who will give you true riches? The stewardship of money is a test to see whether or not you really are qualified for the wisdom of God. The Proverbs says that that wisdom is greater than any treasury, greater than gold, greater than silver, silver, greater than platinum, greater than anything on planet. Wisdom is the greatest. Because wisdom is the skill to live in God's universe according to his principles. That's the greatest thing you can have. You know, we all have problems. You know, we've all struggled with issues in life. And the solution to those issues almost every time is not money. In fact, money is rarely the solution to anything. We tend to think money is the solution to everything because that's worldly thinking. But the reality is what you need in virtually any situation is not money, but you need wisdom. Can Bill Gates buy wisdom? No, he can't buy it, can he? Warren Buffett, can he buy wisdom? No. So these guys could die absolutely clueless about true wisdom. Jesus Jesus Christ died broke. He didn't have a bank account. He didn't have a portfolio. He didn't have any assets that we know of. Was he a success? Would you say he was a success? Okay. So success is clearly not denominated in terms of dollar bills. It's not denominated in assets. So true kingdom thinking is going to be different from worldly thinking. And, And when it comes to generational transfer, we have to keep in mind that God is in executing his will. And our job as parents of of children and spiritual children is to discern the will of God for our lives so we can help our children discern the will of God for their lives. How do you lead your children? You lead your children by modeling for them. You want your children to walk with God, you walk with God. You want your children to be good stewards, you be a good steward. You want your children to use their tongue properly, use your tongue properly. You want your children to... Discover the will of God for their lives, you discover the will of God for your life. You want your children to raise their children right, you raise your children right. You want your children to treat, treat their, their, their wives correctly, properly, you do that yourself. You see, that's the kingdom. So our job is always to think about the generational transfer. Let me suggest there's, there's only two ways to build any organization. You saw one in Genesis 11. And what they were doing is building a monument to themselves. Would you agree? That was a monument? That's what it was. That's, that's one way to build an organization. You build a monument to yourself. And I think you see in Genesis 11 what's going to happen to our monuments. They will get judged. There's no lasting value with those monuments. The other way is to build sons. 
I want to read to you out of about Absalom. You all know about Absalom? David's son. It's a very, very interesting text in Second uh, Samuel 18. It's at the end of Absalom's life. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up a pillar for himself, which is in the king's valley. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. He called the pillar after his own name, and to this day it is called Absalom's Monument. When you don't build sons, you build monuments. I was uh, asked to speak to a pastor's conference a few years ago, and my topic was uh, interfacing between the pastors and the workplace. So um, I went in there, and, and I, you know, I, I like to play a little bit with people. I'm sure you can't tell that. So um, I asked him, I said, hey, guys, there's about 60 pastors in the room. Most of these guys are senior leaders. Most of them have been leading their churches for 20-plus years. So I said, hey, guys, uh, what is it all you want? Now, imagine, you know, 60 pastors in a room are all looking at each other saying, what, what's he asking? You know, what do you mean? Well, what do we all want? No, no, what is it all you guys want? And so I said, I'll, I'll help you out here. I think I know what you want. You tell me if I'm right. I said, I think what you want is a church that's a beacon on the hill. That everybody in the community looks at that church and says, wow, what a great place. People are getting saved. Lives are being transformed. The community is prospering. You know, everything is just going so well that everybody looks at that church and says, wow, what a blessing that church is to this community. It's transforming everything in this community. Everybody says, yeah, yeah, that's what we want. Then I said, well, who's got one? Now they're crawling under the chair. You know, either they're looking for tomatoes to throw at me. Because some of these guys have been at it a long time. I said, why is that, guys? Why is it you can spend 20 and 30 years working to build this church and you don't have the beacon on the hill? You're really not transforming your, your community. You're pretty much doing what you've always been doing at church. Why is that? I said, let me, let me pose to you the reason. I said, there are only two ways to build a church, just like there are only two ways to build a business. There's only two ways to build a school. There's only two ways to build a hospital. There's only two ways to build anything. Either you build a monument to yourself or you build sons. That's the only two ways. If you build a monument to yourself, it's about the building. It's about the budget. It's about the programs. That way you have bragging rights among your fellow leaders. If it's about sons, it's about dying to self. It's about selfless action. It's about sacrifice. It's about discerning the will of God for your sons and then equipping them and training them to do that. Now I want to show you the power of that. I think I read this text to you before, but I'm going to remind you because I think this is such a powerful truth. In Acts 19, there's a picture of how this works. Because what you have in Acts 19 is Paul teaching 12 of his spiritual sons. In this text, you have Paul in the city of Ephesus. And when he got there, he found these 12 disciples. And apparently, these were disciples of Apollos. Now, Apollos was a Jew from Egypt. You know Jews came from Egypt, did you? Yeah, well, he was a Jew from Egypt. 
but he was not well trained in the, in the faith. Uh, by the way, my son-in-law is Egyptian, which means my grandson's half Egyptian. Right. So I, I've got a connection there. Okay? In fact, my grandson's on his way to Egypt right now as we speak. They're going over there to vacation at the, in the, on the Mediterranean. I asked my son-in-law, I said, do they have sharks in the Mediterranean? He says, I've never heard of a shark attack in the Mediterranean. I said, okay. Okay, so Paul shows up. He founds these, tw- these 12 disciples of Apollos, and he realizes they haven't been f- trained very well. So he gives them some instruction, kind of helps them out. And then he goes about what he normally does. He goes to the synagogue to speak about the kingdom of God. You see, that was Paul's gospel, was about the kingdom of God. Did you know that? Exactly what the text says. Look it up. So he's in there talking about King Jesus. And so one of their objections, and one of the ways they fight Paul, is they go to the Roman authorities and says, this guy is saying there's another king other than Caesar. You see, that's how they got the civil authorities on their side to try to fight Paul. So the religious leaders are, are fighting Paul on every front. And so Paul says, look, I've given you guys the truth the best I know. If you don't want it, that's fine. I'll go someplace else. So he gets these 12 disciples of Apollos and says, hey, guys, you want to be trained? You want to be discipled? You want me to give you everything I've got? Meet me every day. We're going to go through the word of God together. And I'm going to train you, and I'm going to give you biblical truth, and I'm going to help you be transformed in the image of Jesus Christ. Because that's the game we're all in. So it says for two years he did this. They met uh, for two years, and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. At the end of that two years, this is what it says. Then, the conjunction there is as a result... All who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord. You see, Paul had been forbidden to go into Asia. Did you know that? He'd been all around Asia, but he hadn't got into Asia. And what, Paul, what God did was use that discipleship of those 12 men. Those men got so infected with Christ that they went and spread the word of God throughout Asia. You remember the, the seven churches in Revelation chapter 1 through 3? Remember those seven churches? Those are all churches in Asia. Did you know that? Every one of them. There's only one church that Paul founded, and that was the church in Ephesus. The other six churches were founded by his sons, by his disciples, which is a great picture of evangelism. I had a, some of you are, I'm sure, connected to various missionary organizations, as I am, uh, but recently one of the man that was getting ready to go on a trip sent me uh, an email asking me to pray for him. And uh, I said, I'm going to pray for you, but I'm only going to pray for you relative to doing evangelism biblically. You think that may have stirred a little conversation? (laughs) What what do you mean? What do you mean? I said, well, I'm only going to pray consistent with what I see in Scripture. And I said, here's what I see in Scripture. You need to go and ask the Lord to, to not put you in front of thousands of people. That's not the game. Ask the Lord to show you your sons. Who are my sons in this place? Now, you may have to get, go get in front of several groups to find your sons. I went down to South Africa a year ago, and I probably spoke to 3,000 people, but I found one son. One son. That's all I need is one son. Okay? And so I said, here's my prayer for you. I'm going to pray that you go. He was going to Vietnam. I'm going to pray that you go to Vietnam. And God will reveal to you the sons. And you will have the courage 
and the tenacity to not get distracted with the masses, but to focus on the sons. Put your DNA in those sons. Transfer to them everything God has given you. And let them go do what God has called them to do. And that's how the word of God spreads. That's true evangelism. My thesis today is that evangelism, by and large, worldwide, does not work very well. And if you talk to people like at YWAM, y'all familiar with YWAM, Youth with a Mission? Um, we, have a, we have a missions conference every year at our church, and Fred Markert comes in. He's one of the, the big wigs in YWAM worldwide. And, and we as elders have time with him to talk with him. And it's always a delightful conversation with him because he's so frank with us about what's really going on. And about a year or so ago, he did a history of missions with us. He just went through the kind of the history of the missions program, what the different strategies that had been tried. You know, you start out with, you know, one strategy was, well, we'll go to the coastal towns and we try to, you know, work with them and get, get the indigenous people infected and let them spread it inland. Well, that didn't work. So we went inland and we worked with the inland towns, tried to get them to spread. Well, that didn't work either. All these different strategies, you know, even the business's mission strategy hasn't worked very well. None of these strategies work very well. You know why it doesn't work very well? Because they never found their sons. If you don't find your sons, the people that God has assigned to you, to pour everything that's in you into them, then you don't build multi-generationally. In fact, you don't build much of anything. You build a Tower of Babel. You build a monument to yourself because it's all about you and what you're doing and kind of your glory instead of discovering what God has called you to do. What if you knew? Jay, you're in the private equity business. What if you knew that God's assignment for you was to lay a foundation in this business for your son or your grandson, and this could be spiritual or physical, to take that company to a, you know, a worldwide organization that's funding Christian, Christian entrepreneurs? What if you knew that? Would that impact what you're doing today and how you would view that business and the decisions you make today about that business? I think it would. If you knew that. Well, how would you know that? Well, how you know anything is you seek the Lord in prayer, with wise counsel, in the Word of God, discerning what God is doing. That's your job. It's all, all of us have that job. Whatever business you're in, you need to be asking yourself, what is it that God wants to do with this? Personally, I'm convinced about strategies at work that, that it's my sons and grandsons that are going to take it to the next level. I think my job has been to lay the foundation. I don't think I'm going to build a structure. I don't think I'm going to put the roof on it. I'm just going to lay the foundation. So I'm looking for my sons that I can pour myself into, give them everything I have, resources, time, you know, wisdom, everything I have, so they can take it to where God wants it to be. And see, when you begin looking at it that way, business is not a vehicle about money. Oh, you'll make money. Yeah. Because God provides for us through those activities. But that's not the real game. The real game is discerning and doing the will of God and thinking long-term and big picture. If you haven't thought 25 years out, 50 years out, 100 years out, I challenge you to start thinking about that. Have you noticed how the Japanese think that way? I mean, you guys have all read stories about Japanese companies. They'll have a 500-year plan. Wow. Isn't that interesting? Here, this, these pagan people using biblical principles, and here we're professing Christians not using biblical principles. Is there something wrong with this picture? The problem is we don't think biblically about work because we think like pagans do about work. We think it's about money. Work is not about money. 
Work is about discerning and doing the will of God. And God works multi-generationally. So our job is to discern what God wants to do and find our sons and train our sons and let our sons then continue the process. And, you know, if you train sons, you have shown them how to train sons. Did you see that? They will reproduce what's put into them. So as you begin to train them, they in turn will train sons, and they will, tra- they will pass the torch to the next generation. So that's the game we're in. This is a multi-generational game. Our job is to discern and do the will of God. So find your sons. They could be natural, they could be spiritual, they could be both. Train your sons in the way of the Lord. Help your sons find what they are called to do, whether they're called to work with you or not called to work with you. It doesn't matter. They have an assignment. Help them find their assignment. And God will send you at least spiritual sons and maybe physical sons to help you in your business activities. And the end game here is not money. It's to do the will of God. And, Jay, that's what success is. Success is discerning and doing the will of God. And Jesus gave us that definition, John 17, 4. Remember when he's praying to the Father? He gave us the great definition of success. He said, Father, I brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. That word work there is that Greek word, Aragon, again. Jesus is talking about his whole life. He's talking about his youth. He's talking about his apprentice as a carpenter. He's talking about his years of being carpenter. In fact, if he became a carpenter at 12, he spent 17 years as a carpenter. And then he spent three years as an itinerant preacher. So the vast majority of his life was spent in the workplace. And so we want to begin to define that, you know, success like Jesus did. Then we have to recognize what it really is, and that is doing the will of God. So Lord, give you grace to do that well. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for your loving kindness and your grace. We thank you that you are a God that is so incredible, that you have a plan and purpose for each and every one of us and each and every organization that you ordained. Lord, give us the grace to discern your will and to do it. And Lord, give us the courage. Give us the courage to not think like the world, but to think biblically about everything that we do. Lord, give us the courage to not build monuments, but to build sons. Lord, show us how to truly pour ourselves into others. And Lord, give us a real sense of satisfaction and contentment because we know that's the call that's on our lives, is to reproduce ourselves. So, Father, we commit ourselves to you, to be your servants, to be multi-generational, to discern your will and do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, bless you guys in that effort. I guess we've got a couple of minutes for questions if you have any. It couldn't have been that clear. Our points of benefit. What's the uh, takeaway? Takeaway that was good. Something new you heard or refreshed, refreshed that you heard. Well, it just it reminds me of Matthew six. Seek first mm-hmm. the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Mm-hmm. And so you're saying really, real simple. Mm-hmm. Message is very simple. Seek yeah. the Lord. Discover. Seek the yeah. Lord. He will reveal. Yeah. 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 I find over and over again, people are absolutely consumed with money. Decisions are driven by money. 
where you work, what you do, it's all about money. In fact, you know, there are a number of things that I find when I go into organizations, and I've been in dozens and dozens of them over the 20-plus years that I've been consulting, and I can almost tell you what I'm going to find in every organization. The first thing I'm going to find is a bunch of people out of place. It's the first thing you're going to find. Okay? And secondly, you're going to find most everybody is taking their job because of money, okay? which, is, which is why most organizations are so inefficient. Okay. Third, third thing you're going to find is if you can get a CEO that's really honest, which is very hard. Most CEOs I find are fairly uh, deluded in their thinking. They don't have a clear perspective of reality. So a lot of what I'm trying to do is challenge them to see reality correctly. But most of them have no clue of the inefficiencies in their organization. And most of them have never asked the question, what is the will of God? Because, again, it's all driven by money. Even professing Christians. That's a real challenge. It's hard to do that. Because the world, all, all, all day long, every day, the people you come in contact with are giving you worldly thinking about business. They're giving you, you babble-type thinking, and we're buying into that stuff. We're building monuments to ourselves, not building sons. You know, we're trying to glorify ourselves and not worship God. We're driven by money, not by, by seeking wisdom and, and seeking to walk with God. Is this a brain lock for you? It is a brain lock for a lot of people. You know, not not every not everybody likes my book. Joe was very gracious and to say that everybody likes it. Not everybody, not everybody likes it. There are a lot of people that professing Christian people will read it and say this doesn't work. And why do they say it doesn't work? Because it doesn't exalt money. In fact, there are a lot of people that say, look, business is just about making money, so you can and you can pour into the kingdom stuff at the church. See, that's dualistic. You see, we have, we've forgotten that God is, at, God is at work in your business. God is, wants, has a will for your business. God wants to do things through your business. How many of you have ever had a pastor come out to you, to your workplace, and try, just try to understand what you're dealing with? Anybody have, you've had a pastor do that? Okay, has anybody else had a pastor do that? Okay. Now, let me suggest, you know, we had one, one person out of, what, 15 or 20 people. You've, have you had that? What was, what was his purpose? Letting go. He wanted to know the environment they were in. He wanted to, to, to know how to pray specifically for them. And mm-hmm. uh, I guess in, in a, just reaching out and trying to get to know them and know yeah. what they're dealing with. See, and I would take it one step beyond that. That's all good. Yeah. But I would say what, what, what true pastors are doing, should be doing, is discerning what you need to do what you're called to do. So they can equip you to do it. See, that's, that's a missing element in our, in our paradigm of Christianity today, which is why most of us feel like that, you know, our work's not all that important to God. You know, if a pastor begins to take an interest in you, then it takes, you feel more significant, don't you? Like, wait, well, maybe, maybe I do count. See, and that's where the pastors could help all of us by stepping out and really taking an interest in what we're doing. But the mentality in the church, and I see it over and over again, it doesn't matter where I go, what church I'm in, and I'm in a lot of churches on a regular basis, it's the same thing. Is the spiritual stuff happens here. What happens in the workplace is just what you got to do to make a buck. But, you know, so 
You leave work as soon as you can, get back to the church, bring your checkbook, and that's the mentality. And we've got to begin to see when we, we go to church, we should be going there to be equipped. And we are going out as ministers to our assigned task in the workplace to bring glory to God by being his servants out there. And that's just a, t- it's a totally different paradigm. Yes? Absolutely. I just went to Canada. Yes, it's exactly what, what you. So you gotta, you gotta almost like have another session that follows up and talks about. Yes, yes. You you will be tested. You will absolutely be tested. I just uh, did, did a trip to Canada. Went up there. There's a client. I've got a client up there that does. Uh, they buy and sell grain, and uh, he got. I don't know, he got a hold of my book and wanted me to come up and do a seminar. So I went up and did my entry-level seminar, which is about personal destiny. To me, you can never build a great organization unless you have the right people. And the only way you're going to have the right people is, is you've got to give them some tools to discern the will of God for their lives. So that's that seminar. is about giving you those tools. So as soon as I got in the car in the Calgary airport, the first thing he says to me is, man, the last month has been really tough. I said, well, I'm not surprised. He said, Why? I said, well, because you are trying to step into another level of obedience to God. There's going to be warfare. There's going to be resistance. I said, you need to realize it's going to happen after I've gone. It's probably going to get worse. I said, are you, I mean, that's where you've got to count the cost. And do I want to walk in this game or not? You know, it's real easy to capitulate and do the business like the world does. Then the enemy's got you. But if you're going to really be a kingdom person, you're going to look like Jesus in a workplace. You are going to be in a battle. You just got to decide, am I willing to fight the battle or not? So that's where counting the cost is so critical. You're absolutely right. Warfare is going to be there. Mm-hmm. I like, uh, yeah, 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 I don't know if you've seen the book, uh, uh, God is at Work. Yes, I've read, read it. It talks about the triple bottom line. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really, to me, you know, doing this, and I agree with you 100%. You mm-hmm. know, we, have, we have a central part of our company is to do ministry, but... Um, but you still have to have the the triple bottom line is you got to make money to, to be sustainable. Mm-hmm. You got to do good at Matthew 25, mm-hmm. you know, onto the least of these, mm-hmm. and then the spiritual part, which is your you're seeing mm-hmm. you know, spiritual fruit and people mm-hmm. coming to Christ. Uh, those are all three that you got to balance, and yeah. it's tough to do. Yeah, it's really tough to do. Yeah, but if you can't have the first one. You know, it's tough to be there for the second and the third. Mm-hmm. So you got to make sure that you're making money. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, you know, yeah. so it's, it's got to be all yeah. three. Yeah, well, it has got to be all three. I just don't put money first. I agree with that. I think money is a byproduct. Central has got to yeah. be your, your yeah. calling. Yeah. And then, but the, you you got to be, be paying attention to it. Otherwise, you're not mm-hmm. going to Well, I think what whatever God's in is profitable. So as long as you're discerning the will of God, they'll be and doing it His way. There'll be provision. I mean, look at look at uh, the fishermen. They went out fishing, fished all night, didn't catch a thing. Here they come into shore. Jesus is on on the beach cooking a breakfast. Got a fish on the on the fire. Hey, how'd you guys do? I didn't catch anything. Hey, throw the net on the right side. Now just think about this. Here's professional fishermen, and there's a carpenter on the shore telling them how to fish. I mean, there's something wrong with this picture. Well, now they can't pull the fish in. The fish shouldn't have been there. I mean, they're almost at shore. There's a bunch of fish now in their net. 
You see, that's, that's the way God works. And I'm not, I'm not suggesting a mystical brand of business, no. I'm suggesting when we line up with God that there is provision to do His will. So what I'm always looking for is what is His will? Because when I get in the flow of His will, there's provision. And I don't have to worry about money. We worry about money like the world does because it, it becomes the driving factor for us. Worldly thinking rather than the kingdom business thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, where have you, when you've seen breakthrough, where have you seen the breakthrough and why? What are what are some? Because I mean, a lot of the guys here are are uh, intent on traveling mm-hmm. this kingdom mindset. So they've been through the warfare, they're thinking about this, but it's lonely, mm-hmm. and we're wondering why didn't so and so, why didn't so and so, what why not the breakthrough? And, and then when you have seen the breakthrough, what uh, is there something that you could put your finger on as to why it comes? Well, uh, I think it comes because you're just committed to, to God no matter what. Uh, it doesn't matter how bad it looks, where it falls apart. I, I've got a client of mine who uh, uh, he operates a, a screen printing business. And I met him two and a half, three years ago. And he got my book, read my book, and... Typical of the first response, you know, he didn't really get it that well. You know, it doesn't quite, I mean, it doesn't click. This guy grew up the son of a Baptist pastor, had been actually been a, an executive uh, pastor, I believe, no, facilities pastor at a church for a number of years, and then bought a business. So he had a lot of what we would call vocational ministry experience. I hate that term, but I think you know what I mean by it. Um, anyway, so he goes into business, and his whole mentality is this is about making money. I'm just going to build this thing up and you know, make money and sell it and, you know, retire. So it's what most people think. No, no generational thinking at all, no kingdom thinking at all in business, just thinking like the world thinks. So I start challenging him, and he starts responding, and he said, okay, how do I begin to engage in this? And I said, well, uh, if you're really ready and you're really ready to pay the price, you need to know there's going to be a price here. You're going to be challenged. He says, what you need to do is take your whole staff through Strategic Life Alignment, which is my destiny seminar. He said, why is that? I said, well, because the only way you're going to build an organization that honors God is you've got to get people in the right place. That's, that's key. That's foundational. He said, okay. So he takes his whole staff through this seminar. Within six months, half of them are gone. Okay? Does that scare any of you? Whoa! Half of them are gone. I said, but he, he stayed the course. We talked a lot. And a year later, he says, I think we need to go through the seminar again. I said, I'm going to be good. So we go through the seminar again. Another half of them are gone. Okay, so now, you know, he's, he's, his staff is really getting dwindled. He said, what's going on here? I said, well, are you committed to the principles of Scripture or not? He said, yes. Then you need to not let what you think is happening distract you because you may not be seeing reality correctly. By the time uh, the next year had passed, some very interesting things happened. Number one is he identified two areas of weakness. And before he had any chance to do anything, God drops two people in his lap. Boom. Right out of the sky. The perfect people he needed. And then he woke up and looked back on the year and he made more money than he ever made. He said, you know, our business didn't drop at all. Our staff dropped by 75%. And we did the same amount of business. We made a ton of money. And you know, it wasn't a problem. 
I thought we'd be totally overloaded and overworked, but it wasn't. And we wound up with the best staff we've ever had. But the angst along the way was difficult. There was challenges all along the way. Continually the challenge was, you really want to walk this out? You really want to do this? You sure you want to do this? Those are the gut checks. How many of you, how many of you played football? You all play football? Okay, did you all have to run the bleachers? Did you all do that? We did that. Hated running the bleachers. Absolutely hated it. But the coach knew if we didn't run the bleachers, we wouldn't be ready for the game. Why? Because we wouldn't have the, the wind. We wouldn't have the stamina to stay it. That's, that's what this is. This is a gut check. You know, you really want to walk with God in the workplace, you need to gird up your loins and expect that when you start on that journey, you're going to get a gut check. But if you stay the course, now you're going to begin to see God open doors and pave the way. He's going to tell you where to throw the net. He's going to put the fish in the net for you. Uh, one, just one, one last thing, and then we're done. Uh, I, as Gerald's talking, I'm reminded of my stepbrother-in-law who had a dental practice for many, many years, and it was always just kind of right to break even or barely make money. And then uh, five, ten years ago, after 25 years of, of that, it had always been hard. He got the, the right organizational person who scheduled appointments to, to the maximum, and, and really was effective in organization as well as scheduling employment. And his became a thriving business that now he, he has sold, and, and, uh, and it's just been awesome, all because of the right person rather than leaving the wrong person in. So that's always the case. I heard you heard Daryl say that over and over again. You don't have the right people in the, in the place uh, where they need to be. And, and it they won't, won't work. And I might just add, my definition of abuse is is when you support somebody in the wrong position. That's abuse. If you don't love them enough to say, I, you know, I want to help you find what God's called you to do. If you're just keeping them there for your own convenience to make it easy for you because you don't have to fool around with trying to replace somebody, that's abuse. Okay. If you're interested, I have some books back there. Um, they're $20 a piece. Um, also, there's, there's a bunch of audio on my website. Some of you might enjoy some of the stories I do. Uh, three times a year I do an executive forum, which is I tell stories about great, great Christian business leaders and how they have gone on to build great businesses because they walked in biblical principles. Uh, you might enjoy the story of Marion Wade, who built Service Master. That's out there. And uh, the key for him was he had to come to Jesus' meeting. He thought he was a great Christian, and then he discovered he didn't have a clue how to run a business biblically. And when he had a revelation of how to do it and committed to doing it, and he got a gut check, by the way, and that's what the story's all about. you got to listen to his gut check. And, but he stayed the course and went on to build one of the great businesses that exist today. And it's all because of biblical principles. So those stories are out there on the free audio page. Feel free to jump in and listen to those. Enjoy being with you. Lord bless you guys. Give you grace and favor.